Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Sister Kate. She is founder and managing director of Sisters of the Valley. We're going to talk to her about how they're using cannabis to really advance their mission and the work that they want to do in the world. Uh, Fascinating story, fascinating background, and just like everybody in cannabis, dealing with all the same kind of challenges and issues, but obviously from a slightly different angle. So I'm really excited to have this conversation and and hear a slightly different viewpoint and a slightly different position in the industry. One of the things I love about cannabis is how it's really supporting uh, lots of different people with lots of different ideas and how lots of different communities and, and parts of the world are coming together around cannabis. So with that, Sister Kate, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you very much. We're fans of your program, and we appreciate you inviting us on here. Well, thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. Let's do the story. Let's get a little bit of the background. How did you get involved in this? What was the kind of series of events, the, the things that led you to looking at cannabis, and how is it serving you and Sisters of the Valley in terms of the mission and the work that you're doing? So um, I came to California in 2008, in the summer of 2008, having already been through three years of a brutal divorce battle. Mm. 
and had three middle schoolers. And I came to California because my brother had also gone through a divorce and he had two sons who were in high school. Uh-huh. And, we, you know, we just thought we would hunker down and we were poor from the divorce. Divorces yeah. cost people about 50 percent of their wealth. Generally. yeah. And more and more churches and religious institutions are taking over the role of the lawyers for good reason, because they rob the whole process robs the poor person to begin with. So anyway, yeah. uh, we came to California. There we, I was traditionally a consultant. I ran my own consulting company. It was a business consulting company for recurring revenue businesses, cable, internet. I set up call centers. I set yeah. up telecom and cable and internet businesses in Europe for clients. And so part of what happened during the divorce is my husband swooped on all the money we had, which turned out to be significant, like over a million dollars. It was all earned from the consulting company that I ran. And he left me penniless with the three kids. So I came to California to live with my brother just so that we could be poor together and recover together. And on the three day or four day drive across the country with a dog and my three kids, he flew to Atlanta to help me drive across the country. I had managed to get the courts to agree to release me from Kentucky to Atlanta. And then from Atlanta, I was able to prove he didn't pay child support and so forth. And then I was allowed to go further away. So I came to California and on the ride out, my brother started pitching me on how the propositions passed and how Mm -hmm. cannabis was legal and how we should do a business. And he really had me as a business consultant and somebody who worked in newly deregulated businesses. I was fascinated, even though it wasn't something I had ever considered in my life. Yeah, I'm sure. But and then when I remember when we were pulling on the driveway after three days of discussion, I asked him how many plants he'd ever grown at a time. And he tells me he grows one per year. And I was like, (laughs) you fool. How do you do a business on that? Why are you even putting this in front of me? This is ridiculous. But the idea took root. And like a year later, we launched a collective, the first one in this county. Uh And we had to do it very underground, very like I had to really act like I was a secret drug dealer, because even though it was legal in the state, our county officials and county cops were shutting down anybody over anything. So anyone who tried was put down. So I got a I got a badass criminal lawyer and uh, some badass doctors on my board of directors and founded a nonprofit and began growing and delivering. And that became our family sustenance. And we survived a very rough economic period uh, because of that. Uh, At the same time, I had four, five boys from the ages of like 16 to 22. And I challenged them. That basically, if you help me grow weed, you can consume all you want, but you have to also help me grow vegetables. And so, <laughs> I love it. And so honest to God, we, we ate like kings because the boys, in an yeah. effort to not being regulated, grew us tons of vegetables. Good for them. And so it was amazing. And to this day, I think that as a rite of passage, we should give every 14-year-old a tomato plant, a cannabis plant, and say, knock yourself out, because it would be a return to putting their hands in Mother Earth. And I don't think yeah. those children would ever try meth. But I digress. Yeah. So along yeah. comes the 2011 in the Occupy movement. And, and in October of 2011, Michelle Obama tried to talk to Congress about how unhealthy our children's meals are. And Congress filibustered and then met so that they wouldn't have to listen to her speak. And the way I look at it is so they wouldn't have to listen to a, a woman no, yeah. and no less a black woman yeah. speak. And they met a week later to declare pizza vegetable to give the finger to Michelle Obama. And when Congress declared vegetable uh, pizza vegetable, I declared myself a nun. Oh and I God. started going to the Occupy movements. And I that was like a protest statement I was doing. Yeah. 
And and mm-hmm. I had no idea what creator God had in store for me because over the next four years, as I went to Occupy movements, protests and stuff, uh, the women and the men began pressuring me to formalize my belief system. Mm-hmm. And even though I would be like, no, you don't understand. This is an activist event. It's a crazy thing I'm doing. They would be like, no, you don't understand. We need that. So it led yeah. to a four-year conversation discussion about what would a new age order of sisters look like. And to make a long story short, that would not be, they would not be begging for alms. They would be self-funding through their own mm-hmm. skills and their own medicine making. They would own private property. They would not be a religion because to be a religion, you only can sell words. You can't sell real things and real property and add real value. And so we ultimately built an order that was founded on January 1st of 2015 that is based on these sort of values of a holy trinity of spirituality, activism and service. Mm -hmm. Was cannabis the, you know, always part of the plan or was cannabis well, the thing you landed on as you looked at what I, you wanted I to do? Went, when I turned to, I put down the nonprofit in 2014 or 2013, primarily because my brother was angry because he wasn't getting rich fast enough. And I was doing everything by the book, everything by the book. And mm-hmm. I put that, I also closed the nonprofit because I realized that the THC delivery business would always be local. And I could, I was beginning to understand that the cannabis plant was far more complex and that uh, a non-intoxicating variety of the medicine was coming. And so I put down the delivery, the local delivery business basically in favor of launching something that's global. And so the sisterhood has been making non-intoxicating forms of the cannabis plant medicine for six years now. And we've been shipping worldwide for six years now. And we've had our Russians with the police in the Middle East. And we've had our Russians, our run-ins with the uh, postmaster general. We've had, we've climbed all those mountains back in 2015 and 2016, insisting this is not intoxicating and you better get used to it. And we Uh won every battle. But it's it's definitely been a battle. Yeah. And what what is the um, I mean, I guess you have a particular kind of mission or or yes. goal that you're yes. trying to achieve with all this. Yes. Well, it depends who you ask. You'll get a variety of answers. <laughs> if you ask me, and my mission is to have sisters in every town and province across the globe in 25 years. And that's okay. because we don't want our medicine to travel. And if you can do a weed maps and find a dispensary anywhere, we can do a similar app for the sisters products and the sisterhoods and the sister enclaves globally. So Mm -hmm. my goal is that global growth of the sisterhood. There's an economic goal of, you know, making every, having like 25 enclaves producing a million dollars in sales Mm -hmm. a year because our one acre farm produces with about eight people working here, produces a million dollars a year in sales. We're a model. So we have economics goals and then we have our activist goals, which are, course are to continue to make a lot of noise we believe in it being part and parcel of our culture of holding our officials accountable for the, the good and the bad things that they do and for paying attention at the local level to what they're up to and of course at the national level but we're trying to teach the sisters and the women that come to us that have never been political that politics has to be part of their life if they ever want to get uh, a better life yeah yes yeah, so, i mean I, I totally get the um 
providing economic means, you know, economic independence for women, you know, using this model. I mean, what, what would be the policy things that you're most focused on in terms of, you know, holding leaders accountable at this point? Is it specifically relative to cannabis or more in general? Oh, no, it's cannabis, but it's more in general. Like, it's very interesting to us because we've got sisterhoods budding in countries across the world. So when it comes yeah. to cannabis, we're more global. Like, we, we think of our poor sisters in Brazil, there's four of them who have to really work in an underground way as activists for the plant. But they can't be very out about it because of the country they're in. And yet we have the UK, which is kind of coming around on the whole thing. And so when it comes to cannabis activism, we're kind of paying attention to what's going on across the board. And yes, we go, we, when we, so for the kinds of things we get involved with is, you know, somebody, a county overcalls us, it's a woman generally saying, hey, I've been running a nursery. My family's had an orchid nursery. We've made orchids for three generations. I want to start providing cannabis clones to my community and they won't let me because of where my farm's located. And so then we're like, well, that's crazy. And then they call us to go up and help address the lawmakers and talk about how insane it is and how the rules are all just stacked to stop us from allowing this industry to come back to its this plant to resume its natural place of where it was a hundred years ago and put it back where it belongs with some respect. And, and we're, what strategies have been effective? I mean, uh, is this, you know, raising awareness? Is this creating data? Is this, you know, holding people's feet to the fire around some I of these think, things? Um, I don't know. It's really hard to tell with this. So, like, we got chased out of the city of Merced when they were like, no, you will not make your salves in your crock pots that are non-intoxicating in our town. Ouch, ouch. So we left and bought a farm in the in the county far away from the city for a couple of years later for them to come back and say, hey, we, we want you to rent a place on Main Street. I mean, the politics are definitely wow. changing. And and I, it's hard for me to tell if we're doing any good. And I guess that's, we would like, I mean, nothing against the Christians, but they're really good at just having faith uh, in, in, in Jesus and everything else. But we have faith in activism. We have to yeah. have faith in activism. And we have to continue to do it even if we don't know if we're getting measurable results. I feel that we were just part of a larger push of a lot of people who've gone before us and were the real pioneers. We're just helping putting wind to their work. Yeah. I mean, what would be an indicator at some point for you that you're, you know, you're having an impact in the way that you want to impact things? Well, it'd be nice if our county would give us a license. We're still technically very illegal here. What they keep doing is it was fine. We were fine. And they get, they got together and said, oh, you can't be growing hemp or in the hemp business unless you have a minimum of a 20 acre farm. That's the newest law that they put us around us last summer. And they keep putting laws up so that they can threaten to shut us down, but they don't shut us down. So for us personally, we'll feel like we made progress when we get a county license. However, our second enclave north of us in another county, in Butte County, their town gave them their license within three months of them settling there. So that's that's some progress, I think. Okay. And as as my as I see our sisters of Sweden and Denmark and Belgium working with the Danish government to begin doing the same thing in Copenhagen. And when I see certain things like that, I'm like, oh yeah, planetary progress has been, is being made. Everybody's efforts are being rewarded. We are seeing great, great change, even though it's in pockets of places. So I'm curious, given that you've got this really interesting kind of global perspective, what's your kind of take on the global, the kind of the global landscape on cannabis at this point? I mean, are, are certain countries very advanced or certain countries still you know, kind of trying to figure it out. I, mean, I don't think 
a couple of things have happened. Corporate overreach um, and keeping so many people, big percentage of the planet in abject poverty, when we all know that this is engineered, that if we can put a man on the moon and do a lot of other stuff, we don't, mm. we certainly can solve the poverty problem. And I think that's driving people though. It's becoming a friend to the cannabis plant. I've heard, I've been reached out to by government officials in the Ukraine, in the Philippines, in, from Nigeria, like very you know, places I wouldn't have expected them to, but they've reached out and said, hey, can you tell me more about what you're doing? And can you tell me what we can do here to ready ourselves or to, to start to push this reform? Mm. And I mean, how, what's your guess on how cannabis, how, how that's going to play out over the next couple of years? Do you see a lot of change? Do you think it's going to be stuck where it is? No, I just, I think everybody's going to get on board. I tell you, it's, it's not about us anymore. As the whole planet turns to thinking about saving the planet, basically, yeah. hemp yeah. has to be the answer. And I think that no matter how ingrained somebody is um, against cannabis, they have to start opening their eyes and understanding about hemp and they're going to save their own there it's it's I guess the way I look at it, it's like uh, the planet's last gold rush. And for the purposes of commerce and feeding your people, everybody needs to get on board. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so tell us more about the the operation that you actually have there at this point. Like what what are you you know, what are you growing? What are you producing? What are you what are you selling? What's tell us a little bit about um, yeah, so how we, things are we set, up. set out to see. We set out to I set out to prove a few things. Could uh could a group of women live together peaceably uh -huh. <laughs> and, and farm a one acre farm? Could I gather women from all different directions that don't have anything in common except a call to work with the plant? Mm -hmm. Can I gather brothers to support us? Cause we didn't want to do this completely without the men. Yep. We are modeled after the begins. The begins were very well known across Europe from as early as the 600s and at for their excellence and they did kind of what we're doing they farmed and they always had a shop in the castle so people would come from far and wide to get their soaps their mm -hmm. cannabis their textiles their medicines and so they were and they were spiritual women but if you look them up in a in a book you're going to find out only references to christian begins and that's a big planetary lie because they had to become christian or they died so the only Beguines in written history are Christian Beguines, when in fact, the original Beguines did not affiliate themselves with any religion. And that's why they went to extinct oh, at the hand of the Inquisition. The Beguines lived together and believed in women being spiritual leaders. They believed mm -hmm. in women owning property, and they created the first organized nurses in the castles of Europe in the Middle Ages. And they believed in career paths for women, honorable career paths, but they neither they didn't take vows. So they were like the precursor to the Catholic nun. So okay. if you think of history, the Beguines were thriving in the 800s. About the middle of the 800s, the printing press comes along and Gutenberg prints only the Bible. And by 880, St. Scholastica forms the first Catholic nuns, which, by the way, have to be poor, have to be celibate, have to be yeah. excluded, have to be blah, blah, blah. There's no coincidence at this. This is all the Inquisition. The Beguines were far more empowered. Their celibacy rules were privatizing sexuality. Their, yep. But their economic principles were that women need to own businesses and all women needed to be good business people. So we're founded after them. 
I love and it. Sorry yeah. for taking so long on that. Now I'll answer your question. So here on this one acre farm, we have a, traditionally in a non-COVID world, because we're a bit spread out right now, but mm-hmm. traditionally we have six women and two men that work here. We don't all live here. Four sisters live here. Two sisters live in housing nearby. And we have two brothers that also live in housing nearby. So, and also the Beguines believed in clustering their houses, but not everybody living in the exact same building with their own bedrooms. So we believe okay. in that as well. We make topicals. Our number one seller is a topical salve made from cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, and we put it out there as experimental and said, you tell us, it's all organic. You tell us what this is good for. And I was shocked to find that people use our topical salve to replace their sleeping pills. They, we made it as a joint really? and muscle pain reliever, but we found out that it relieves earaches and toothaches and that put on your forehead, it'll take a hangover away. Put on your temples, it'll take a migraine away. Put on your temples, you can go to sleep at night. Put behind your neck and it does something else. Like every, the, the public is so abused by the pharmaceutical world yeah. that they're very open, shockingly, to experimenting with this. So burns and diaper rash, everything came back. So it's a multi-purpose salve. Topical salve that you can buy for as little as $10 or as much as $105, depending on the size of the jar. That is our winning formula that we have doctors from around the world that buy from us in bulk to get into Jordan and to get into Montreal uh, for their patients. Hmm. CBD, this is uh, CBD, no THC, or what, what is the actual formulation? Yeah, it's very, very low trace THC. It's CBD that we grow or buy from local organic farmers with very, very trace amounts of THC. Got it. Got it. And we tried to go no THC, but nothing works as well without it. You need the THC to activate the CBD, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And when did you create this product and how long have you been selling it? I created it in the fall of 2014 and we opened the doors to sell it in January 1st of 2015. Got it. All right. And, to, and how much of have, have you? How many units have you produced? How many kilograms have you processed? What's what's been your uh, volume to date? Oh wow! I would guess we've done over 1.5 million in sales on just the salve. Yeah, yeah. So that's a lot of a lot of salve. And so you're grow. So you're you're growing, and you're taking from other local growers, and then you're processing locally. Tell us a little bit about what what you actually have in terms of operations there. Yeah, so this year we started offering tea now, too. So uh, here on the farm, we make all the topical salves. Uh, here on the farm, we make all the topical salves in the made here by hand. But we also have gel caps that we import from Centuria, and that's for people who have serious pain or, like, we find out, like, I take one every night before I go to bed. It's pure plant oil. It has all the medicine, the other hundred some compounds of healing. We originally got it for cancer patients and people with tremors, but more and more the sisters are taking one a day for health maintenance. And so it's quite nice. We introduced tea, which is hand shred CBD plant that is, we'll put us slightly over the 0.3. So we have to mix it with what we call a lower grade hemp. Like we have to put in 10% of a lower grade hemp and mix it really well for it to test under. But we do that and we've been doing that for a year successfully. And then we have like CBD drops you can drop in your mouth, an oil version and an alcohol version that we also make here. So the only thing we don't really make here is the gel caps. Everything else is made here by the six sisters that then the two brothers that work this farm. But everybody else has other work. So it's really just a few sisters who are making the medicine. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious in terms of like, who have you been able to attract to the farm? What are the backgrounds? I mean, what, what's been kind of the culture you've been able to create and the people that have become involved in the organization? I had this theory that I had the rat park theory of, of healing broken people. Mm. And that's because sometime about 20 years ago, a college student turned his apartment into rat park and he was curious about meth and meth addiction. So he had 10 functional rats and he had it, uh, lots of water and mud and things to do. Like the rats got a purpose driven life. And uh-huh. then he and he put up a meth drip next to the water drip and he put a meth infected rat in with the rats that were functional rats. And the, the functional rats all tried the meth drip one time and never again. And the meth addicted rat weaned himself off the meth in three days. So I was so impressed by the study. I'm like, wow, it just goes to prove that if you have lots of things to do and you have fun and a purpose-driven life and lots of people around that are fun, you can get better. So my thinking was that this model of 10 people on a one acre farm, 10 functional rats means we could take in like a broken rat and that broken dysfunctional rat would just heal himself. Well, I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I was wrong. And when it comes to humans, they can do a lot of devastation. So we've had sort of, I was a bit of naive starting this thinking that through my prayers, mother goddess would just send me the right women. Uh And she did send me the right women, but they weren't right for very long, if you know what I mean. And very much a sense, the the thing I battle is that we have some fame and the people are attracted to the fame. And I don't want the sisters who are attracted to the fame. I want the ones who are attracted to humble farm work. So that's, it's been a bit of a challenge. I lost two key sisters over COVID because they had to go help other sick people in their family. And I am replacing them with Sister Maria in New Zealand and Brother Matt in England, who were working with the immigration people to bring them in because they've been working for five years with their own businesses. And they and we think it's a right move to get them over here at the mother farm, helping me deal with the growth over the next couple of years. Yeah. yeah. And how have you like when you've worked with you know sisters in other countries and, and setting up farms there? What is that process like? How do you find them? Do they find you? How do you help them? What do they need to do? Tell us a little uh, bit about that process. Well, we didn't used to have an organized way, but now on Patreon, we have a fellowship program. So we're Sisters uh-huh. of the CA Valley on Patreon. And basically okay. what I tell people is just consider $5 your application fee. And in that $5 application fee, they get a free copy of our book of the beginnings. That's all our belief systems, our customs, our rules. And we make them answer a very like hundred question questionnaire about themselves. So they get to know us, we get to know them, and then they can cancel it. And they don't have to keep paying $5 a month. They can cancel it. Mm -hmm. The people who stay in get our moon ceremonies and get other benefits. But that's not the point. The point is we had to have a way for people to deposit all their information about us and for them to get our belief system so we know who to pull from. So that's the the Patreon platform. Our fellowship program is where we are pulling from those people. Right now, we're looking for a cook and we're looking for an office admin person. And we've set up a a 90-day internship program. Now, if somebody wants to, you know, work with us in any capacity, they have to go in there and pay that $5 and tell us who they are. Because we're not even going to talk to them unless we know who they are. And again, if they only pay it once, that's fine. We don't take their qualifications out. We just needed to support the people to manage the program. And so we require that $5 admission fee or application fee to get your data in. And But generally, the Sister Rosa found us by coming here. Sister Maria came here. We bring them into the mother farm and we work with them. We sort of have a theory that 
If you work with somebody for two for a week or two, they can't hide their crazy longer than that. <laughs> I think that's generally true. I think that's generally true. I love it. You know, I guess how do you see yourself relating to the broader cannabis industry, cannabis market? I mean, are you are you just another cannabis business or how are you like how do you kind of can categorize yourself in the cannabis well, world? Well, actually, we would like we feel like the cannabis industry needs a spiritual movement that's not just your ditzy stoner churches. It needs it uh-huh. needs something serious, something Mother Earth grounded and something that's super respectful of Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. And so we would like to see ourselves grow into being that respected spiritual group that all people in the industry want to connect to and support. Of course, we want that. But more than that, like right now, personally, I'm working more and more with the Hemp Industry Association. I love those people. They're the only ones that sue the DEA and win time after time. And I love them. I have great respect for them. And recently, I've actually gotten to know them. And I'm I'm trying to become, I may like try to serve on boards or do something, do something else to help to give back to the industry. Yeah. What do you, uh, what are the, some of the policy changes you hope to see happen or, or what, what would you like to see change about the cannabis industry? How it's in? I, wa- I have always said, and I still maintain that non-psychoactive cannabis or hemp should be as regulated as dandelions. So I wouldn't sleep until we're as regulated as dandelions. <laughs> And do you think that's going to happen? I mean, what's your what's your? I think there's a guess? chance. I mean, what's happening is I'm so happy that we have Biden and a Democratic chance at things, shot at mm-hmm. things. I'm so relieved about that because I think there's going to be a turn to just adult thinking. And right now, our country took a big hit with COVID in 2019 and a big financial hit again in 2020 with all of the stimulus money. And if the grownups rule, they're going to be, you know what, let's lift the restrictions on the hemp business and let's just create commerce. Like every mom and pop should be able to grow their hemp in their backyard and bring it to the sisters. And if they have enough, we'll pay to test it. And if it's organic and clean and good and potent, we'll buy it from the neighbors. That's just ancient wisdom. We support those around us. So I think that'll happen. I also think that there's a chance that they'll be like, okay, we're going to make THC legal from sea to shining sea and let's promote it and and help the industry now instead of hurting them. And let's, by the way, put a 1% federal tax on it. Bingo. There we go. We raised a bunch of money. Yeah. Well, fascinating. Sister Kate, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about Sisters of the Valley, what's the best way to get that information? So uh, sistersofthevalley.org is our store. But if you look down, you can skip the commerce part and go down to the bottom right. Or maybe they've redesigned it and it's back at the top. They were talking about it. But essentially, we have FAQs. We have a rich blogs that we write about uh, on what we're learning about the plant and about the CBD and the hemp a series of articles, and we have our media history. So I would recommend people start there. Great. I'll make sure that the link is in the show notes and people can get that information. Sister Kate, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. And thank you, Bruce. And I'll be happy to do it anytime. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.